Penn State coming off one of their biggest win in James Franklin's tenure. That's just beginning to scratch the surface of this episode on the Sports Extra Podcast. We have so much to talk about in terms of Penn State and where their potential lies, but also what some of these NFL teams and players are doing. Are we hopeful about them? Are we not hopeful about them? Just how bad are the Steelers? <laughs> Doesn't get a better tease for an episode than that. Contenders and pretenders. We have hit that point of the season, Logan Reaver. Mm. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about a whole lot more when it comes to Penn State because people are losing their minds in the best way possible with all sorts of excitement going down in Happy Valley. And let's get into all of that. Big win over Auburn Putting in the whiteout game. Uh, crazy environment. Let's start here. This is your first in-person impression of Penn right. State. Both the team the environment, Beaver Stadium. Mm -hmm. Did you love your time there on of Saturday? Of course I did. I think it shattered expectations of, it, it would have been one thing, because obviously the whiteout game is going to get a significant opponent. Of course. But you get an SEC team in that place, and it was it was so much of a measuring stick, and the fact that Penn State was in the top 10. It wouldn't have had the same juice if Penn State comes out and loses maybe to Wisconsin to start, and then like barely beats Ball State or something like that. But the fact that all that momentum of, of about to, creep into the top 10 was there. I think everybody in the building kind of felt it a little bit more. So it it gave it a more heightened environment than it would have already had. You know what I mean? We talked about it during the week. ESPN was in town for college game day. All of their analysts said like, this is a bucket list they, college football environment. They kept saying it throughout the show that it was the best environment in college football. Like to the nation. It wasn't like they were saying it like when they go to commercial breaks, no. they were just saying it like to them, to everybody, to so put them on uh, put them on notice. I think that's always a funny conversation because, you know, the the Clemson fans of the world or the LSU or Alabama, they're all going to say it's their environment. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a brother who goes to Michigan who's fighting my sister who went to Penn State about okay. whether the maze out or the white out is better, you know, but can um, we all just get along? What's going on? In the Everybody has to be the best. Like, why can't we just be like, they're all sick? Because apparently... Somebody has to win. <laughs> ESPN wants someone to win. Mm. Kirk Herbstreet wants someone to win. Mm. And it turns out it's the Penn State environment and it's this Penn State football team. Right now at the moment. Number six. Big deal. It is a big deal. What did they start preseason? 18? 22, I thought. No, 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 19. 19. Sorry, 19. Auburn was 22. Yeah. 19 is where they and started. And they jumped all the way up to six. Well, and it, it makes... I Well, we can get into this a little bit more of the, the fact they're six. I think we, we thought they beat Auburn... They'll probably jump a couple spots. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody saw six coming. I, and it makes you wonder, are they the sixth best ranked team? Because, yes, they've beaten two top 25 teams. But, it, no, it's true. You have to look at the the, the large, you know, like a team like Georgia already beat, you know, Clemson off the bat. And, obviously, they're ranked second. So, it's all – usually teams don't have two premier matchups this early on in the season is the other thing. So, based on that – Yes, they deserve to be six. And the teams that they're ahead of, whether it be Cincinnati or, you know, now Clemson, who's, you know, barely beating teams like Georgia Tech, it makes sense. I think we'll see going forward in two specific matchups, which we'll get to if they are the sixth best ranked team in the nation right now. David Pollock brought up a really good point in that he said a lot of years we have to guess, right? We have to say, like, oh, I don't know, is the SEC stronger than the ACC and the top team in the SEC? And for the most part, know, the preseason polls are so pointless, though. But I think what his point was, was that now we have measuring sticks, right? Like, you mm -hmm. don't have to debate, is Clemson better than Georgia? Is the SEC stronger than the ACC? Like, that game was played. Yeah. Same thing with Penn State-Auburn. Like, we have something which now we can measure Big Ten teams against SEC teams. And even Oregon-Ohio State. Right. That was the one that really threw a wrench in everybody's sort of, because that one's, for the longest time, Pac-12's week, Pac-12's week. And, I mean, given Oregon's the only team now with UCLA and Arizona State both losing in pretty embarrassing fashion. But the fact of you have an Oregon being the – 
main team as opposed to any of the Big Ten teams right now being the highest ranked out of the two conferences, that's not something people expected. And it's if they would have never played, we would have never known that. We just would have assumed, ah, Pac-12, they're nothing, and then we'll wait until see. Maybe they get in the playoffs and prove it. But they got the chance to prove in the regular season. I like this a lot better than playing FCS East for three straight weeks and then getting into conference play. Oh, Villanova. This Not week. Villanova. Mark Hall yeah. picked uh, Villanova this week, but uh, I, I don't know how it's going to go for him. His, his son goes there, so he's a little biased. Before we get too far into the episode, be a friend. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. Please rate us five stars and leave us a review. All right, back to the episode. We also have, uh, before we get too far into it, Producer Shiner, producer Tyler in the building. We got a lot to talk about, not just Penn State and what they've done in the first three games, but we're also going to talk a little NFL, oh, yeah. how things are looking in the first couple weeks. We're gonna <laughs> the talk highs and the lows some of a couple different fan bases right now. Some lows. <laughs> I think we're Some lows of a man in the room. Uh, we're also going to talk a little bit about what some of the Penn State products have done in the NFL, yes. which is some highs. Maybe more significant than what the team is doing at the moment, honestly. It's usually how that goes, yeah, right? Weird. You know. Uh, and then also we have some uh, interesting topics to get to at the end. Interesting. Off the wall. Interesting is usually a term people use when they don't know how to describe something. Yeah, it's random. How about that? <laughs> no, and it's probably perfectly fitting. Random topics. Yes. But so first impressions of Penn State mm. in person. You love the environment. The team. Yeah. Probably their most complete game of the season. Mm -hmm. Sean Clifford yeah. completes 28 passes against Auburn. That's a career high. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's now, what is it, fourth all-time in career touchdown passes with 45. Uh, he's got 14,200-yard passing games, tied for sixth. This is finally the Sean Clifford that we have seen for flashes, and hopefully now, as a third-year starter under Mike Yersich, we're seeing some consistency from yeah. him. Were you impressed or not? I was extremely impressed, and I think I've, I've given Clifford as much flack as anybody because I think even we had the episode before the season started, and we were saying that if – the expectations should be high because if we start setting them low and that it's okay to lose a game like this, then that's where it'll stay. And we are saying if Sean Clifford is the guy of this program that is going to take them to this level, he wins this game and plays well in it. He did exactly that. There's, we're sometimes hard on people, but when they do the things that they're supposed to, you got to give them credit. And doing it against an SEC front, no matter where Auburn lies in your grand scheme of, of where the SEC plays, they get legitimate recruits especially defensively, front seven-wise, and even secondary as well. And there were times in that game that he made some big boy throws. Now, there was, I will say, there's always something to nitpick. There was He could have even been better mm -hmm. is the other part of it, too. There was a couple throws that were wide open that probably should have been big gainers, maybe even touchdowns that he missed out of those, what was maybe four or five incompletions. Mm -hmm. His completion percentage was intense. We got four, four incompletions. I think about two of those were like, woof. So there's room for improvement with him, but... I said it before and I'll say it again. It was the best game he's played at Penn State by far, given the competition. Yeah, 28 for 32 is still something that you say that's a pretty dang good football Especially in college football where completion percentage sometimes can be thrown out of the window. I think the other thing, I asked James Franklin this week, I said, you know, Sean's always told us he's confident. Right. Like, he's he's worn that very openly. He knows what he can do. He believes in himself. And sometimes the play didn't always match that, you know, and you could see the visible frustration. And so I asked Franklin, like, are you finally seeing him on the field earn that confidence from the fans, you know? And uh, Franklin didn't like the question mm. naturally, you know? Well, so he does, I don't negative. think he wants him to get a big head though. I and I think that can be a concern for this team. Cause I was saying that to you, even after the Wisconsin game is that this is a likable group right, right now. Right. If they start winning these games and getting now that they're number six, this will be an interesting thing to see where they go mentally. Because if they start turning into the team that expects to win and just expects to put the uniform on and go out and get the actual W when the game's finished, 
that's not going to be what the fans want, and that's not going to be what they're they're somehow still in the underdog card of being the number six team in the nation. I think they wear that right now. Mm. That's a good place to be. If they start going to a different one, and I think Sean Clifford dictates that, could go a whole different way. But they're in a good spot right now. Hope it stays that way. And I think a part of this is it, we're, we're back here looking at the whiteout schedule, and Auburn was only the second team ever to be in a, a part of a whiteout game that isn't in the Big Ten. Mm. Part of me thinks was this in it was this a very very clever marketing scheme by the Penn State scheduling oh, staff that worked out genius. <laughs> you know that, yeah. They they saw they had an SEC team early on. They Auburn happened to be ranked in the top twenty five. Penn State comes out, they play a good game, and here they are, almost in the top five in the country. Like it, it was very clever by Penn State. They knew what they were doing. They executed it. And here we are. Well, and that's why schematically people always go, oh, look at the road. Like, look at this tough schedule. The reason you have a tough schedule is in this exact instance. If it works out and you win both games, like a Wisconsin and now an Auburn, you're number six. Mm. That's why you do those things. And if if you lose one of those games, it's to a really good team in the scheme of things. And maybe you don't get punished as much. Now, could it go the other way if you're like the Citadel and like losing to those teams in, in general like that? Obviously, but... That that's sort of the the risk reward that you get in that, and now they're they're winning big in the scenario. Well, I think the whiteout too. It was an eight and eight record coming into this one. Like it's not like people always talk about the the dominance of the fans and the way that you when you're standing on the field and you felt mm-hmm. it, like you feel the pressure of one hundred nine thousand people standing on top of you. But it's an eight and eight record, so people have always yeah. said like, is it a distraction? Well, is it good? Is here, it bad? Here's the other part of that too. They're playing good teams in that because similar right. to what you're saying, you're saying schematically, it's not like they're not doing that for Ball State. They're not like, hey, it's a whiteout game. Let's throw anybody on there. They're throwing a good team on there, so it's not like, oh, they've been bad in the whiteout games. They're playing legitimate competition in those games. Mm. And you can't just chalk up only home field advantage to how many games you win or lose if the team is sometimes even better than you, which has been the case, I'm sure, in previous whiteouts. But that's why I think they weren't afraid to schedule Auburn for of the course. whiteout because if you lose it, okay, now you're 8-9. and nine. If yeah. you win it, you're 9-8. and eight. It's not like you're going to ruin a streak or anything like that. But It's not, it's not like they're going to do away with the whiteout game because they're like, oh, we're under 500. They've only lost one, though, in the last five years, which I think is the, mm. the, a bigger point. And <clears throat> excuse me, this is a whiteout voice that you're listening to right now <laughs> as I clear guy. my throat. Hey, hey. It's Shiner. Got some bass, got some bass. And Anyway, of those 17 games, there was only one whiteout where it wasn't a ranked team. And you got to remember that they've played Ohio State in six of these and actually have a, I believe it's a three and three record with them right now. So there are, when they do have these games, it always is against the big boys. Yeah. So going 500, I know that sounds horrible, but you're actually going against some of the best competition they get to see on a yearly and, basis. Well, also, let's be honest, too, is that Penn State hasn't exactly been, uh, given since the year of winning the, the conference, they haven't been at the same sort of level of what they are right now. You know, they haven't been up this high in the scheme of things. So having underachieving years and fitting of that record sometimes, it makes sense. Given they're the program that they should be in winning most of those games, but it hasn't been the case in in recent history. doesn't mean it can't be the opposite going into this year. This is my fourth season covering Penn State, and James Franklin's talked about it a lot in the sense that there's a big difference, and we've talked about it on the podcast, between a great team, which Penn State has been. You know, Mm. they've won, um, gone to multiple bowl games, uh, and I think when it comes to what James Franklin wants, he wants to go from great to elite. Yeah, and that's what we talk about a lot. This to me, this three-game stretch, given it's ball state, but the way they blew them out, how complete that game was, this is where you start making the jump to an elite team. And I think that's what we need to start focusing on is, okay, we've seen what they've done. They've won 
three different games in three very different ways. The defense has been back to its top five in the country form. Jesse Lucchetta is one of the best players in the nation. Sean Clifford for right now looks very, very good, very, very strong. What is the path forward? Because whenever we talk about mm -hmm. the college football playoff, it's always – Okay, you gotta beat Ohio State. Okay, you mm -hmm. have to, you know, start start cracking into the top four, top six at least, and stay there throughout the season. So, in your mind, Logan, what what do they have to mm -hmm. do to stay at this level and then have a chance at the CFP? Well, I have now fixed my expectations because coming into the year, like I, I always keep referencing, saying that I had their road to the college football playoff. I had that as two losses. I figured that they would lose, obviously, one of the Ohio State and Iowa games and that they would stumble along the way at some random game, maybe even to an unranked team, but that they would need all the other teams around them to fold, which I believe can still happen. But I'm now amending that because mm. of how well that they've played is that they can be a one-loss team, but also sticking with Iowa and Ohio State. They have to win one of those games. You can lose one of those games and still make it, in my opinion, because I think both of those teams are still going to be there at the end. Right. Specifically, Iowa is going to be there at the end. If you win the Iowa game, given that it's in a couple of weeks now on October 9th, yeah. I think that one is the one that could really propel you to even being in. If you get to number three after winning a game like that, because they're above you right now. Iowa's at number five. Mm -hmm. Only Big Ten team above them. Right. right. And Iowa's looked really good. Maybe even, I mean, Iowa hasn't played the same competition, but they've looked really good in the games that they have played. And they beat an Iowa State team on the road. I shouldn't say that. Who was ranked seventh, I think, at the time. Yeah. So their road, they just can't. They can't stumble in the game now that I gave them leniency that they could have before. Like, they can't lose at home to Michigan. Or they can't, they can't go on the road and lose to Michigan State the last week of the year. That can't happen. That's the thing that I sort of accounted for. And then I'm like, maybe if they do two losses. When you win, you get heightened expectations. There are now more heightened expectations because they're winning. Sean Clifford played the best game of his Penn State career. He now has to play better going forward. That's how it works. You're moving the goalposts on I them. am. Yeah, uh-huh. But for the right, but in a good way, the fan, the way the fans should want it. Mm-hmm. They should. They should want undefeated seasons. They should. That's the and that's why I keep saying to you, the expectation should be that of this program. They should be. Because it hasn't happened before. And this is even translating into why people thought maybe James Franklin to USC for a minute. Because they're like, oh, the Pac-12 is easier. You'll get to the game in easier time. If Penn State can do this now, he doesn't they have can. to go anywhere. It's a much, we'll get to that one. Right. Because that's a huge conversation. Tyler has something. And I would argue in saying that after coming off this huge win from Auburn from the whiteout game, the next two weeks, it's the only two weeks in a row that Penn State will be facing non-ranked opponents. These next two weeks are going to be the most important of their season because they're facing Villanova and they're facing Indiana, two games they easily should win, mm -hmm. but they're staring down the barrel of Iowa after that. Coming off a huge win from Auburn, these two games are going to be super important and it's going to determine, I mean, if they lose one of these games, there's no way they're making the playoff. They can't let up. So they cannot let up, and they have to win these two games easily they, like they should. Given, we always go back to the campaign of when, or when they won the conference and people thought they should have been in the playoff in general. They have to surpass that this season. We're, we're not dialing it down. And mm -hmm. you say this all the time. We're talking about, like, I know that there's been, like, underachievements in recent seasons, but if you're going to take advantage of a schedule where you beat two of the top 25 teams three weeks out of the gate – you got to roll with it. James Franklin doesn't believe in trap games. He said that before Ball State. He said, you know, we're... I can't believe people kept saying that about Ball State. Well, you know, you well, People were losing their mind. People were like, even Dan, our Dan DeMasso was like, trap game. Watch out for Ball State. It's Ball State. Hey, they were their conference champion last year. Uh, they're in what conference? Mac. Mac? Yeah, and there's a reason that people watch them after dark. It, like, there's not... They don't get the same rate. Like, 
You're scared of Ball State. Okay, but here's the deal. That's not why we're here. Here's the deal. Villanova, James Franklin has said he's got a lot of respect for them. They're averaging 45 points a game, Logan. You just beat Wisconsin and Auburn, and you're scared of Villanova and Ball State? We're not scared. We're respecting them. Don't respect your competition. That's what elite teams do. All right. You know what? Here's the deal. (laughs) Stop being so scared, everybody. <laughs> Logan's only scared of Iowa. I, yeah, I'm terrified of Iowa. Uh, that's a good point. Which is a, which is a bigger win to you, Iowa on the road October 9th or Ohio State on the road Halloween? I think it's turned into Iowa because Ohio State's susceptible. Mm. They they played a close game with Tulsa for a lot of that game. I mean, they created a separation in the fourth the other week. They're not the same, and maybe it's just based on their quarterback play. They're not the same Ohio State team that they've been in recent years. Given they still have a lot of weapons, Iowa plays a more complete brand, and they always give Penn State trouble. And they always play a type of like grounded pound football that I sometimes wonder if Penn State wants to play themselves. That'll be a real challenge for Sean Clifford in the game that he just played because he got to air it out a bit. If that's not the case against Iowa, how do they win that game? And I don't see them jumping forward at all mm. in terms of like rankings. Like a win over Villanova, you stay. A yeah. win over Indiana, you should stay like right. at, at six. So this would be probably- If, a, if anything, you might move back if you don't win in the fashion that you do. That's, that's why point. I'm saying you can't be terrified of these games. It's like a Ohio State That's what just back. happened to Clemson. Yeah. Clemson just barely beat Georgia Tech, who was I, you know, not a good team at all, and they moved back. I saw an article this week from statecollege.com's Ben Jones, uh, covers Penn State, has really good um, perspective on a lot of mm. things. Like, he really seems to take the dive. He wrote an article after a game last <laughs> year about, like, dreams or nightmares. And it was yeah. like, that was his game recap, and I like it. Mm-hmm. We like Ben Jones. He doesn't overreact like us or, or under <laughs> yeah. No, but, but I think he always comes with, like, a very interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. And his article was um, – what if Penn State is James Franklin's USC? You know, we always talk about dream jobs and and where people are going to go. And I think what Penn State is proving this year is you can do it here. You can do it in the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, in Happy Valley. You can have over 100,000 people come to your stadium for Villanova because they're only 1,500 tickets away from selling that thing out. You can have this environment, this program that people put up on a pedestal and win. But I think even after, and I'm not saying everyone in the world read Ben Jones' article, which I think they should because it was great. It was a really good piece of journalism. But I think the rumors are still circulating. Will he take that USC job? And they're going to circulate until USC hires someone, and they're still going to circulate because they've been saying James Franklin to USC for the past six years. Yeah. Well, they consider him the best available, you know based on contract. But is he available? I know, I, just, I can't I can't get over that. He says, I can't stand any form of distraction. He didn't want to talk about it before Auburn. He didn't even get asked it after Auburn's win or this week in his availability so far. But to me, Penn State could be his USC. It could be his dream job. He's from here. Mm-hmm. His family, his daughters are now in that like middle school, high school area where you kind of want to give him some stability. He signed a contract extension. I think this has to, like, we need to put it to bed yeah. because Penn State could go out and win a national championship this year. Maybe. At least make the playoff. Possibly. Yeah. And people will still be saying it. Yeah. Maybe he's already at his dream job. Yeah. I also think it's, oh, go ahead, Sean. I was just going to say, if you remember in his uh, press conference saying, you know, we'll talk to the leadership council about this. The fact that the USC job is open is probably the best thing for him to stay at Penn State because he will get paid even more to have his quote unquote dream job in Pennsylvania. 
I mean, people think that he is super Hollywood and would be the right kind of coach for out there, especially with the way he's been recruiting the last couple of years. But I truly think it's more of a bargaining chip than it is an actual reality. Mm. I also, when you go to the, the, and I said this on Sunday, the foundation for why he would leave still doesn't make sense to me. Between there's the, and I was referencing, the the easier road in the Pac-12. Mm. And the fact that the last couple of national championships haven't had easy roads at all. Right. It Like, e- either you get to the national championship and then you get blown out, like, by a team like Alabama. Right. What's the point in that season as well? Whereas if you can face tougher teams in the Big Ten, like, I know obviously the SEC is a different monster, but last couple of national championships... Alabama, LSU, they didn't play anybody, you know, they didn't have an easier road and had any trouble winning the title. If you're good enough, you end up winning the title in that scenario of things. The other one is recruiting, where we talk about this a number of times, whether it be people keep forgetting about Penn State having that class in 2022 being number, number one. one class, yeah, they yeah. keep forgetting that. But they always reference the, the how California is, is the hotbed of, you know, recruiting, of football in the nation. It's like them and, and Texas, there's always an de- ongoing debate about that. Like, Pennsylvania is no slouch whatsoever. And it's what he has done recruiting there are so many states in college football and like state programs where they can't keep their own guys within the state and they leave to different areas and james franklin has dominated that whether it be nick singleton mckay flowers bo previula anthony ivy like all these guys are staying and are excited about it and we kept talking about the recruits themselves and how massive of a win it was because the recruits were there at Beaver Stadium on Saturday night as well. And they got to see not just the full atmosphere, but what it's like when they win over a legitimate opponent. I and that will do wonders going forward. I heard a letterman talking about it on the sidelines. The, the former players are allowed to attend the game, stand on the sidelines. And they were saying, like, I was a recruit at a whiteout game. And like you have no other option but to commit at that point right. because of the environment, because of what it means. That was a huge win over Auburn. So any of those kids that were on the fence that were there and were not allowed to talk to recruits, you know that environment is going to it's it's a huge plus. It's a mm-hmm. huge positive. A big win like that, also a positive. So I think this program's moving in the right direction. I don't think that James Franklin needs to go anywhere else and start over. What he has built in the past eight years, I believe, at Penn State is something that takes time he also hasn't finished the job i think that's something that people keep like they're like like he's the kind of guy that wants to go build a program back up and and he takes on challenges he hasn't finished what he did like i know people get all sorts of you know angry about the result of them not making the playoff a year you know being that in that selection of a year's back but he hasn't done that and we keep talking about raising the bar like the job is not necessarily finished until you even get on that radar whatsoever so why would you go reset at a program where it's yeah, maybe they have disposal of, you know, there's nicer weather and you can have a money bump and everything like that. If in the scheme of things, you end up like all of these guys who have gone to a USC in the past or you know, even a Texas in the past and just have underachieved and like left and then your reputation is shot. Whereas you have all of the building momentum and just a continually, you know, exponential reputation that's going up and up and up and then you would just leave it behind for something else. The foundation makes no sense to me. And I don't even know if it makes sense to him. And I don't think it does. To be honest with you, the way he's talked about it, it's not on his radar. I think, like Shiner said, it is a bargaining chip at this point. Like That has hey, to be all it is. Let me get my assistant some more money. Let me get some more resources. They're building a new practice facility. As long as he's in the conversation of the top 10, people are pretty happy. If they're in the New Year's, new Year's 6, even if it's not the CFP, people are pretty happy. He's got 
the perfect place. He's got vacation homes all over the place. So we know of at least two in Florida and Colorado. So I think, you know, he can go get the big city feel somewhere else, but then come back to Happy Valley, be the guy, go home, be the father he wants to be because he lives 10 minutes away and there's no traffic in Happy Valley as long as it's not a Saturday whiteout game. But I think this is his job. I think Penn State could put them on the map this year in terms mm -hmm. of finally cracking into that CFP conversation and sticking. This could be the first time they win a Big Ten championship since 2016. There's so much out there still yeah. to accomplish, to your point. And he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to just jump ship. He hasn't done it very often. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's going to do it here. And I think what they've built in Penn State is translating not only to college football and getting the best high school recruits, but clearly – they're preparing people for the NFL. To put it mildly. And we have to get into it because two of the best defensive players, both rookies in the NFL right now, are a guy named Michael Parsons and a guy named Adolphe Owe. Mm -hmm. And they are lighting it up. I think it's funny because it's going to Odafe when we were at uh, Ravens training camp and even seeing that, we, we not that we didn't think that he w wasn't ready, but he was. there was a number of, uh, of teachable moments uh, that when, when we were in attendance and... and it made you feel like, oh, okay, like, you know, he'll, he'll have a minimal impact in year one and then it'll be sort of for the longer game. And yes. he's, he's a raw project and he straps up immediately week one, then two, and has like the most significant plays of the game and is constantly harassed. And it, you said he had the most quarterback pressures? Uh, Micah Parsons Micah does. does. According Sorry. to Pro Football Focus, Micah Parsons uh, has 11 quarterback pressures among he, rookies this season. Right. And, and Adolphe has seven. And he was drafted for that immediate impact. Not to Agreed. say that Micah was, you know, a, like this is like a surprise or we should take it for, for granted, but Odafe was much more in the later first round project his impact was probably not more foreseen, especially even by us. He played two years of high school football. Like right. let's let's remind ourselves. He doesn't even of know this. what the sport is. He's still like, and that's what I think we saw at Ravens training camp, and you saw it in some of the video that we put on that podcast episode. It, you watched him process, like mm -hmm. you were watching him look at guys' feet and then like move his feet an inch. You know, like you don't think those things matter. You think like, oh well, he's a raw product. He runs under a four four, like the, you know whatever. But he's so intentional about making sure he's understanding his position and what they want him to do. So he's watching people's footwork, you know? Yeah. And, and so I think I'm with you though. Like, did I think he would have that big of an impact on that Chiefs Ravens game, you know, where he's uh, forcing a fumble and recovering it there at the end or um, he, uh, before that he forced another huge play. It's like, no, I didn't no. think that. I, it's not for lack of ability, but that's his second game of his NFL career. I also think we should give credit to it because this is what the Ravens do, specifically in the yeah. front seven and the, in the defensive. And like these are the guys that they look for in yeah. sort of harness. And it's even when we'll get into the, the the rookie quarterback conversation, it's all where you go. You know, sometimes it's yeah, it's what is your skill set, but it's what situation are you in. And he, yeah. I, it's hard to say. This is the, probably the best situation for his position that you can be in in the league. And just with, you know, the whether it be like in the Martindale defense and just all of the things he has and the guys he has to learn from, whether it be Calais Campbell and everybody up front, Derek Wolf, even though he's injured right now, but just those guys that he learned from early on in training camp to now, I think has been the perfect fit for him and now it's showing on the field. And doing that against the Chiefs, I know that they have a reconstructed offensive line, but him being out there in those clutch situations, you can already feel sort of the faith and confidence building within him, which... If he starts becoming the best defensive player on the Ravens within here the next couple of years, I know we're getting ahead of ourselves. I think that that's, they never miss on 
first round like defensive players. They never miss on that. Well, and this is what I was just about to say is like pre-draft we were talking about okay, who's each team going to take and Ravens GM Eric DaCosta, he is so intentional in the way that he drafts in the sense that he doesn't come in and say I have to take a linebacker. I mm -hmm. have to take a safety. They look at the board and see who's the best available and that's usually who they go with. So they get a guy like Rashad Bateman who hasn't played due to that groin injury. Mm -hmm. That was also at the Ravens training camp practice we were at and they uh, two picks later, three picks later take Adolfe and I remember talking to um, there was a live broadcast of next star reporters across the country and I was on it and they said like Adafi Owe, like who, who, mm -hmm. you know, who is that? And I, I, being that we cover Penn State, I was like, this guy's a freak athlete, so much raw potential. Um, you got to look past it and realize he's probably just the best athlete available. And Adafi came in and is quickly proving that. And he, I think, I think of him the same way I think of Micah, in that they still don't really know what their potential is Not because. For Adolfe, it's very little amount of football experience, being that he started as a junior in high school. And for Micah, Penn State switched his position to linebacker, and he did great in the Big Ten, so much so that he was the uh, linebacker of the year in the conference as a sophomore, the only sophomore to ever win that award. But then because of the injuries and because of COVID and all that, the Cowboys started him as that the first game, and he still played okay. He looked bad in pass coverage, which has always been the knock on him because he hasn't done it very much. Well, he's playing Tom Brady, too. And Tom Brady picks on the weakest link. And I'm not saying right. Mike is the weakest well, link, just but he's even a rookie. Film, yeah, of course. But I think it's also, he didn't play football for a year. There's been so much made of this. And you go into linebacker yeah. where you have to see everything. Well, there was also some, even like film study that was like overheightened. People were like, oh, he got burned on this play. Whereas he, he was actually doing technique, but was just late to the play. It wasn't like, hey, right. I don't know what I'm doing. It's just, I'm a step behind, which is a completely different monster of two different scenarios. But then Not knowing what you're doing and just happening to be a, a little, little yes. But I think then the, the point is now is against the Chargers, the, the Cowboys have injuries to their defensive line. They have someone out in COVID protocol and they're like, oh shoot, let's see if he can pass rush. Mm -hmm. And he has the best game there so many NFL experts are saying now, like he'll never play linebacker right. again after one game. Well, and that's also the the void he was filling. Like Demarcus Lawrence is like one of the best at his position specifically. So it's not like you're going in there for uh, a scheme fit where it's just another guy that you're replacing too. Like they they rely on Demarcus Lawrence for a certain amount of productivity throughout the game. That then in turn relies on them relying on Micah for that same return. And he did it. Like that should be the ultimate test. He quite literally filled his shoes. People always say, oh, those are big shoes to fill. And if you have the same level of it, yeah, he filled them. That, that shows you how good he was in that game and can be if he stays at it. I'll be interested to see is that if they do that going forward, because let's keep perspective. It is one game. Right. And obviously teams can game plan. Right. And they'll be like, oh, we have, because once they get film on a guy, maybe teams so switch different. it up. Yeah. So if he does it consistently, obviously it's one thing. He has so many different skill sets. I don't think the Cowboys would limit him to one thing. I would agree. Is what is what we get at too. And we talk, but about, he's been good in that too. And we talk about the fact that okay, that was the first time he played defensive end since he was a five star recruit at Harrisburg. So like, he hasn't even really learned the NFL version of it. They just told mm -hmm. him get after Justin Herbert, and he did it eight times. Pretty simple job. When that's your one job to do, I think it's a lot easier for a guy as opposed to linebacker and you're the mic and you're calling all these different things out and all these responsibilities. Exactly. Whereas you can harness in on one thing, it's an easier. And that's what they said is is all you have to do is tell him to get to the quarterback. Like mm -hmm. that's his whole job: beat one guy, get to the quarterback. He did it eight times. That's the most since 2019 to Nick Bosa. So that's great company to be it around. Is. So I think we're, again, for both of these guys, a lot of upside, a lot of potential, both under Brent Pry's leadership at Penn State and the defense that now Brent Pry is bringing to Penn State. I'm just trying to bring it all back together. You're doing a great job. It's impressive. <laughs> these transitions, man. Oh, wait, oh, wait. Brent Pry's impressive or you're impressive? I'm impressed. Both. both. <laughs> 
Oh. I'm impressive, yes. Yeah, Brent Pry, I'm putting myself <laughs> in the same category as one of the best defensive coordinators in football. That's just what this podcast has become. I'll send that to him, see what he says. I'll be like, Ali, you're ridiculous. Great. Uh, so anyways, I feel like they're having a lot of potential, a lot to be excited about. I want to go back to the Ravens, though. We know all the injuries. Mm-hmm. Every running back is hurt. They have like 10 new guys on the team. All their original ones are hurt. Uh, Rashad Bateman may or may not get in in the next couple weeks here with that I'm groin injury. I'm honestly losing more and more hope. Not for him as a player, but as just like in the scheme of what they need and offensively, they're, oh, okay. they're okay. okay. So like they're not reliant on a guy like that to come back Fair. immediately who's also a rookie. So I'm losing more and more hope that they need this sort of reliance on a guy. Like we need Rashad, we need you to come back as soon as possible. Because it really hasn't felt like that since even the moment that they drafted him. Crazy loss to the Raiders to open the season. Yeah. Huge win over the Chiefs. Massive win. What do we think at this point? Like they're so beat up. They're so injured. And yet they're finding ways to at least be relevant in a game, mm-hmm. if not knock off one of the best teams in the AFC. Well, let's talk about the actual win itself first, then we can talk about the injuries, because I think it goes hand in hand. But the, the win itself was, in, and Lamar kept referencing monkey off his back in the post game, which is true. And I was having discussions with people here about just the game itself, and even my... I was picking the Chiefs because I was like, you almost have to show me otherwise. And the right. Ravens have had terrible, they've been so, they've not so bad, but they have not been good against the Chiefs in general. The closest that they had, I think, was Lamar's rookie year in Kansas City where it was like a shootout, but they still lose that game. Right. So that always felt like the narrative. It's like, even if Lamar plays well, it's like, ah, well, that was a great effort. You have to win the game at a certain point. I agree. And so them actually realizing on fourth and one that they had to go for it in order to win the game, it felt like it was a tide-turning script in a lot mm. of ways they knew that if they punted the ball back they probably were going to lose the game of course to patrick and rightfully so it's like giving the ball back to brady of course there's a there's <laughs> a select there's a select few guys that you almost don't do it for and it was it was surprising to see them do it but it also showed the amount of confidence that harbaugh has in lamar and i was saying the difference between there's supporting your players and then there's believing in your players. A lot of guys support their players because that's the job. That's in the title. Yep. But they don't actually do the acts that go behind believing in them. And that's where you see those transcendent relationships in player coach. Now, would it have looked really bad if they don't get the fourth down and, and you know, they end up losing the game and Harbaugh like allows his player to say what they're doing? Of course. But he knew he'd get the first down. And that's where belief stems from. And that's a whole different can of worms from the Ravens teams we've seen in the past. Where sometimes, I believe they played a Monday nighter at home. I know nobody was in the crowd with the Chiefs in town. And they looked scared. They were terrified. And they got yeah. blown out by the Chiefs. Yeah completely different team from what we saw at that point last year. The Ravens are turning a tide in the sense where they've won their first playoff game with Lamar Jackson. They've now won their first game against the Chiefs. I did see that same video. We both, you know, tweeted that out of Harbaugh saying like, Lamar, do you want to go for it? And like, we know the Ravens, like they Mm -hmm. pick the best available athlete in the draft and then they always go by the statistics. Like you don't give the ball back to Patrick Mahomes. So they were going for it no matter what, but Harbaugh standing there and saying like, do you, my quarterback want to go for this? Whatever you say, we're going to do. Lamar's obviously going to say yes. Of course he's going to say yes. He's a confident guy. But there was no hesitation after when he went back to the sideline. He went, all right, let's do it. Exactly. He literally said, all right, let's do it. Go. You yeah. know, like it's it's your thing. And and obviously I think that's what you're talking about. We talk about these relationships, coach, um, coach quarterback, quarterback tight end, or you know, whatever, where it's like Brady Belichick will always be remembered as such a successful pair. Now Brady's trying to do it on his own and he won a Super Bowl and we don't have to get into that. But, you know, Lamar, John Harbaugh, 
might be in the same category. Well, and here's an example, and here's the ultimate testament of what is the difference between supporting and believing. Kyle Shannon in the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo did not believe in him whatsoever. Still does. He he did he absolutely, and everything <laughs> has since has been even yeah. more so. Every act of him. The play calling and the execution, he was terrified of him the entire playoff run, let alone in the Super Bowl. They lost that game, one, because of Garoppolo's play at the end, but also because he didn't put him in the right positions because he didn't want him to make an error. Harbaugh did not do that in the last minute of the game with Lamar Jackson, and it won them the game. And there are too many teams that play terrified and scared, and it was actually refreshing to see and to know that you have to not play that way if you're going to beat the Chiefs. Matt LaFleur kicking a field goal instead of giving the ball exactly. to Exactly, exactly. Like prime example. You don't win the games by playing that scared. No. Now, is there a difference between idiocracy or <laughs> that level? Of course. Yeah. But that was the fine line, and that was a fourth and one, and they it everything felt like it was fitting into place perfectly with where this team is at right now, too. If and the, then we can get into the injuries. I was going to say, if the Ravens <laughs> can do this with that many injuries and, and still beat the Chiefs and still do it with confidence, um, that's – like a momentum shifting win. No, totally. For them. And I, I also, I, I don't, I don't want to make light of how many injuries they've had. I don't, I don't think it matters as much as everybody says where, where the injuries are happening. Okay. At running back. You already I'm have of, a running back. <laughs> well, I am of the belief that the running back doesn't matter as much as everybody keeps saying it does. Did Devonte uh, Freeman te- seem to be a problem in that game? Did Latavius Murray, they seem to run the ball. Tyson Williams, they seem to run the ball just fine in that game. Now, if you have injuries at positions like, you know, obviously Marcus Peters going down, like that one is more significant in my mind. But if you have significant injuries up front defensively mm-hmm. or, you know, I know that they've had them at the receiving core. Offensive line, that's enough, That's what I was worried about more so when the year started. Yeah. And I believe Alejandro Villanueva had the best rated performance out of anybody in the week mm-hmm. on the offensive line. So those alone are, if that was injuries to them, it'd be more important. They seem to be operating fine without a running back. And people make too much light out of the fact that you can go grab a guy off the street right now, and if he has the holes to run through, you'll be fine. It didn't seem like they had much issues in the game running the ball. And obviously you have Lamar, which is you know not a glorified running back, but he does the same things yeah. at that position while also you know throwing, given he didn't have a great throwing start to the game. But people have, I think, gotten in their heads so much, oh, here's this injuries, it should have this end result. And it's not the case when it comes to a position that honestly plug and play guys in and they're doing it right now. It's true. I think it's true. I think the Ravens still have a lot of potential and as they, not all these guys are coming back, but as they start rotating Mm -hmm. in some more guys, abatement or something like that, I think this offense is only going to get better if it already looks as good as, you know, it does right now. So, um, I think Jury's still out on the Ravens. Jury is still out. I mean, I, we're in week two. I also keep <laughs> saying this because there's a lot of people that get excited or devastated by certain games early on. Season. There are so many teams in the first first month of the season that look completely different by the back end. The Raiders being what they were six and three last year, and now they look like world beaters to start the first two weeks of this campaign. We could be saying a whole lot of different things about these teams by the end of the year. I think the Ravens will still be there at the end because they have proven their track record mm-hmm. in recent years, all these playoff appearances. So it's different, but there are a whole lot of other teams that I think we are saying glowing things about now that might not end up being the end scenario come December, January. I want to go around the room. Who is more disappointing? (laughs) Our favorite subject. The Eagles or the Steelers. And I'm going to start with our resident Eagles fan, David Shiner. Yes. Who is more disappointing? (laughs) The answer is yes. Yes. Um, 
To be completely honest, uh, I think the Steelers are the the more of a disappointing season start so far. Um, they've shown that they can't run the ball at all. They've shown that Ben really can't throw the ball more than 10 yards anymore. And their defense, which was probably their highlight and their, their bright spot, are dropping like flies. You're losing Watt. You're losing a couple other dudes too. At least the Eagles, I think, we're still in the preseason mentality of the schedule right now. I mean, this is technically you know, week one, so to speak. And a lot of these guys didn't play in the preseason. So these teams are obviously going to get better as the year goes on. I don't think you can correct defense as much as you can correct offense. Defense is there. Offense will win your games. Look at the Ravens. The Ravens have given up 33 and 35 points and are one and one right now. Now, granted, they played some pretty good teams at this point, but even Brady's team has been giving up points like crazy in Tampa Bay there. So if you have the guy that can score the points, that's what'll drive you to the more wins. But I think the the Eagles can rely on their defense and hopefully have Jalen go off here. Maybe it was a one-week hiccup. And San Francisco's D is actually kind of vaulted anyway, so that's where I'm at. Yeah, San Francisco is is good, and we'll say that, but the Eagles had so many blown chances that game that I won't talk about. But I, they're also, they are not my choice for why they are the most disappointing. I, the Steelers are the most disappointing because Big Ben has been the most disappointing. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of necessarily like his play. It's the way that he for lack of way that he treats like himself and like you see all these other guys whether i know like brady's a unicorn and like it goes into this whole different category of like health and stuff like that but even rogers is getting up there too big ben like making two steps to the right looks like he's like lifting a piano off of his back and he just is the way that he takes care of himself there's no way that this team can have sustained success that's the same reason the steelers were what 11 and 0 to start last year and then they end up fading the way they do it's because big ben fades and there's, we're in week two, and he already has a pec injury. And I know he gets hit a decent amount, but he doesn't do the things to protect himself or even stay like up to par and in shape. And he's saying he's worked like as hard as he ever has in his career, but it doesn't show on the field. And like his presence alone should be why you should be frustrated as a Steelers fan. Because he does, it, it feels like sometimes the, the, the level of, of, where like the, the, we keep talking about the bar and like the expectations is that he's kind of just like, riding along and it i think it was pretty evident in that in that game itself this is a tough one because i expected the steelers to be disappointing this early yes yeah (laughs) this is how i expect their whole season to be i expected to be this this is this is how i expect to, to be talking about the steelers the whole season this is what i said before the season even started the eagles very much impressed me in week one but it was against the falcons right so now they go up against a more legit team in the 49ers, and you see a little bit more of how they're actually going to play. So I, I don't know who's more disappointing. I expected the Steelers to play like this, so I can't say I'm disappointed in them. But I would say the Eagles have more upside as of right now. Can we get the Eagles to not run uh, Philly Special's uh, fourth and goal from their own three after having first and goal from the one? Can we also Nostalgia. do that? Can we <laughs> Nostalgia. Oh, my God. I'm going to lose my mind. Nick, Sir- we've questioned a lot of what Nick Sirianni has done, right? We praised him after week one. Right, we praised him after week one. Why in the world would somebody say, hey, I'm going to run the play from the last regime that made them so big in order to introduce us into the new era? Like, let's run the Flush play it. that made the last guy super famous right. in order for me to have success now. Even if that works, what are you saying in the postgame? Doug was great, so we used his play. 
Like, what are you doing on so many fronts? It's not even, it was laughable the fact that they even brought it up. It shouldn't even be on the playbook for at least five to six years until maybe even the next guy gets the job if it, if it doesn't work out with Sirianni. But that alone was just such a head-scratching play on, on just a, a mental level that it just makes you wonder what, what's going on there. And they had first and goal from the one, too. And we weren't even talking about that because the play call was so bad. But I think it's also, it's exactly what you're saying. Like, okay, so the guys that you all ran out of town, Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz, you're Let's now do saying, what like, they did. It, but that's what I mean. It's like, it's like, okay, that makes absolutely no sense to just pick up something that you've said we want nothing to do with anymore. Yeah. Doug Peterson can't win for us, so we don't want him anymore. Oh, let's run his plays. Yeah. I think the Eagles, to me, I kind of feel like Tyler reversed. I thought the Steelers would finish third in the division um, because I think we gave the Patriots so much flack when it happened of like, how can you let Tom Brady go, right? They still are getting flack. They're still getting <laughs> flack. But the point is, is that Belichick, Kraft, Brady, all decided it was time to move on. However that went down, no one will ever know until the ESPN 30 for 30 comes out in well, 30 also, years. Well, also, there's a book that comes out next month. Well, okay, never mind. <laughs> we'll find out next month. But my point, my point in all of it is, is the Steelers have hung on to this way so, too long. Yeah. Like, you needed to bring in someone else because Ben hasn't looked great for years. He That's opens true. the door for you, and you're like, no, we'll just keep you. I like, we'll just see how it goes. So it's like the Steelers set themselves up for failure. The Eagles are trying to throw anything at the wall and see what sticks right now. Sirianni is the biggest example of that. Let's see if a rah-rah cheerleader, you know, 30-something-year-old head coach can fix this, mm -hmm. you know, uh, instead of figuring out how to draft players or develop them or do anything else. Let's just change the coach and see what happens. But I think the Steelers have just hung on for way too long. And I think it's the way the organization operates. They've had three head coaches in their entire history. Like, they, they don't let go of people, no matter I, if they deserve it or not. Well, I think they're terrified of the option B is is more so like of, you know, what would be a world without Big Ben? Do you go to, you know, a Mason Rudolph or a Dwayne Haskins? I mean, they pick these guys up, but they don't want to see the reality of them actually in the game. They needed to draft someone. This was right. a, a heavy quarterback draft, and they chose just not, not or they, to they engage. Or they chose, you know, they chose a... a, a you know, retread project and Dwayne Haskins is, you know, they're de facto, yeah. well, he was a top pick, so he can uh, be that role for us as well. They're, they're so terrified of that, I guess, world without it. And I guess holding on to the past and, and seeing of, I think the 11 and 0 start didn't exactly help in that. They're like, oh, we can recreate that. We just happen to fade. But at a certain point when the track record keeps going over and over, that's just what you are. And I know we're only in week two talking about this and given their one Derek Carr, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick not, you know, getting back in coverage in time, play away from maybe getting the ball back, and then maybe going and winning the game. So it wasn't probably as heightened as it was. But it's what we saw, I think, offensively, which is always going to be, you know, the reason they won Super Bowls with Big Ben was because of him and the clutch plays that he made late. Maybe not the first one, but he made clutch plays along the way, and those seem to be happening less and less as the years go along, to your point. All right, Logan, you, before we get out of NFL talk, you, we've both, but you especially have focused so much on these rookie quarterbacks. Yeah. I don't know if any of them are panning out. Yeah, not going so hot. Uh, There's in like terms 15 of, of them too. Uh, my, my take, I said to myself and not to the public of thinking that they might be the best class ever is not working out too well right now. I think you did say that out loud. Yeah, actually. I don't know if I did. Let's hopefully not check the tapes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think what's more jarring is and i i can't take credit for the stake i heard around but this 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 plug in play of we have to play them right now immediately like you look at trevor lawrence in jacksonville with just a brutal brutal offensive line 
he could quite literally like be in like one of those SpongeBob like full body casts by like the end of the like by any of these weeks this year. And this this forcing and it was evident with Zach Wilson against the Patriots throwing four picks. Like that didn't feel like a guy that was ready for a Bill Belichick scheme at that point in the year. I know that you like throw him to the Wolves, but this inherent pressure that you know, these guys have to, you know, make their mark and go through the, the highs and lows. And I know Peyton Manning threw a bunch of picks in his first season and then ended up being what he is. But I, I think that it's almost causing trauma for them in a lot of ways. And obviously they're in bad situations. They're top picks. Like they go to teams that aren't in good situations whatsoever. Even Justin Fields, which you think would be in one of the better situations with having a defense and, you know, guys to throw to, you know, relatively would be better off. He didn't look so hot either. And it also goes to show that the value that I put into the preseason where it's like, oh, these guys look pretty good, that once you actually get out there and you're playing the ones and guys that actually hone in on game plans, it's a whole different monster. Well, a friend of the podcast, Matt Nagy, said, uh, I'm, I'm classifying. Oh, yeah. I told him I would yeah. call him that, and he said, okay. Um, he's already said when Andy Dalton's healthy, it's back It's back to yeah. that. Because I think there's- Well, that might be the right approach, though, but there's given value. what I'm saying. There's value in developing your quarterback yeah. and, and allowing him to see what he's going to- face in the NFL without the pressure of your starting every snap, you know, get them in for a drive or so, you know, see when you're up, like see what you can do. I think, I think we're also dealing with a different generation too. Like, okay, Peyton Manning throws a whole bunch of picks. He comes out the next season. He's like, all right, never mind. Like, let's, let's, let's really be serious about this. They always talk about college coaches, especially you can't handle these football players the same way you could in the 80s 90s where you're tough mm -hmm. on them there's tough love like trial by fire there's a lot of like emotional hand holding of like no 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 you're still good and i'm not saying any of these rookie quarterbacks need that there's an elite level of competition they bring I mean, look at this. the transfer portal in college but you there's there's clearly a different mentality of i need to have success right now or everything is a failure yeah. and coaches have to bring that out of guys you know mm -hmm. we see people left and right unhappy in certain situations want a different place like some look guys at sam darnold right now right he's 2-0 and oh, and has looked like the opposite of everything he did with the jets you just need to be in the right position i think that's the situations everything where a lot of people are shiner one last thought before we move on well just on the rookie quarterbacks i mean you got to look at the situations the brain put into i mean you're you're usually with a bad team to start i mean even big ben when he came in and had that 15-1 season coming in from addicts and all that um, I mean, they ran the ball. Heck, they had Heinz Ward throw a touchdown pass the next year instead of Big Ben in the Super Bowl. So, I mean, these are things you really got to think about. And just they're not given the opportunities. Darnold's, Darnold is looking good because he has better weapons to throw to. I mean, the Jets team is absolutely horrible. Well, and when you're trying to force the ball to players that can't make a play on the ball, you're just going to make your rookie quarterback look worse. Well, you're talking about in situation like Big Ben was in a good, like he had an elite defense and he had Heinz Ward and all of these guys to throw to in those first couple of years. And that's why you go 15 and one in the first year. And then you go, I think they went 10 and six and then they end up winning the Super Bowl as a wild card. Like that's all the pieces around you. Jacksonville, New York, like oh, they, they will never have that because they have to so much reconstruction has to happen to their entire roster that they are light years away from even scratching the surface of that, which is what the only like rookie quarterback that would make you think he has a, a, a you know gasp at that is the fact that maybe Mac Jones because they spent so much money in free agency. Yeah, they, they will that be it. the scenario? Probably not. But like all these other teams are have so much work to do with them that it would not make sense to have these re expectations. 
But then there's also situations I look like when they Colts drafted Andrew Luck first overall and they end up making the playoffs after having Curtis Painter playing for them the year before and being terrible and having the number one pick. So it's all situational. The one thing we can all feel good about in this room is before the season, we all picked who we thought was going to have the worst season, not quarterback, but teams. Mm. And we said Detroit Lions. We said <laughs> uh, Jaguars. That Tyler said I said I said the New York Jets. Oh, you did say that. See, so here's the deal. I don't even remember what I said. You you came up with some qualification of like four different teams. Pretty sure you said you're like you didn't answer the question. No, I'm pretty sure you said the Jags. I'm pretty sure no, he did. You said the Jags. Did I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Did I? Here's the deal. Trevor Lawrence looks bad. He's in a bad situation. Urban Meyer's going to go to USC and be (laughs) fine. Meyer might not be there. You know. So I think I think, but I think right now for right now after week two, all of us in this room can sit here and feel good because so far our loser picks are are losers. Good for us. Winners when it comes to losers. Awesome. Yeah, here we go. It's the only thing we got right. All right. That is enough football. Oh. I love football. But there's some other things going on in the world. Sur- surprisingly. You know, baseball is yeah. still happening. Logan, we'll get to that in a second. Woo! But first, I'm going to let the three guys in this room talk about the story that everyone in the world, except for me, yeah, is obsessed with. She doesn't want to talk about it. I'm sick of I, it. Is obsessed. I, I don't know if obsessed is right. I, I think it's the only basketball story going right now. Maybe is why. And for those of you who are not nearly as obsessed as these three, and you guys are not obsessed, but no, they I like. Think, I think it's fair, actually. They like talking about <laughs> it, and I don't, is uh, Sixers all-star Ben Simmons, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Nice. Woj? 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 Just say Woj. Woj. <laughs> Woj. Always a safer bet. Woj ESPN. Uh, will not report for opening of training camp next week, intends to never play another game for the franchise. Simmons has not spoken to the team since late August when he communicated this message to officials. The floor is yours because I've read the tweet and that's all I'm going to say. Oh, this is annoying. I'm going to let Shiner start with it because I know that he's, he feels passionate about it. And also... He comes from more of the the Philly fan perspective that I want to get into in a minute because I have a feeling that you you might mirror what I you know see on the surface. Well, I mean, I think we've already, as a fan base, pretty much we're done with Ben. Yes, you know, and he's basically making it even easier for us to have this ugly divorce. Unfortunately, I think all the cards lie with the Sixers here. I mean, they they have the ability to hopefully turn this into a positive or make this guy lose game check after game check after game check until uh, he's with clutch media or clutch right yeah, clutch you know sports. and until clutch finally pushes so hard on another team that they have another you know person on their staff with it's just ben's not doing himself any favors and he's only going to alienate himself to the fan base and i'm pretty sure everybody's already done but this, the thing is that he's not making it easier to the Sixers right now because he's driving down the value that they can get for him. And I, I thought that that value was already very fa- fragile to begin with. I thought people were like, swap him for Damian Lillard. I'm like, why in the world would Portland swap him for Damian Lillard? A guy that shoots from the logo. Give us a guy that can barely even stomach the thought of shooting from the free throw line. Like that, like a comparison alone, you are now getting to the point where people are like, well, maybe let's swap him out for John Wall. Like a wash, you're going to get a washed up name and it's only going to get worse going forward because there's already been outreach from the Sixers being like we haven't liked what we've heard in return for Ben Simmons that's only going to get worse we're going to get to the point where they're like trading Kwame Brown for Ben Simmons when they get a return uh, the, the money has a lot to do with it too of course I mean if that you're going to bring deal. someone in like Wall I mean what I think there's like 96 well, it's, million it's left Simmons, on his contract or something ridiculous Simmons money and Simmons too. still got three more years under his so four years yeah exactly <laughs> I mean it, it's an immovable contract, but if the NBA has shown us anything, is that every contract we think is immovable ends up getting done. You see these ridiculous three-team 
tr- trades yeah. and cash There's ways for of making it work. Yes, of and, course. And, and obviously, the the draft pick scenario that's not a lottery pick in the NBA is not like in the NFL where it, it actually has some kind of value. I mean, these guys pre-10 are really the only ones that can make impacts on your team. It's very rare you see a top, like a 10 through a 20, 30 pick that mm-hmm. really pans out. Yeah, and I, I think the more the actual point here and like what is the debate, if you want to call it that, is that who is at fault, whether it be like Ben Simmons or the team themselves? Because you've had an offseason where, yeah, Ben Simmons has, you know, obviously complained and being like, I want out of town and, you know, they haven't treated me right. But then the Sixers side of things where it's, you know, almost blaming the entire loss on him and then, you know, all these, like, whether it be Joel's comments after the game and all of these things, of like, and teams aren't interested in him, and then he comes back and being like, okay, I don't want to show up. So it's who is treating the other one worse in a way, you know, and, like, who's more at fault? And I think both parties can be in the wrong, but, like, whose side do you go to for who has been more justified in their treatment? I, I mean, Ben's the bad guy here. I, I, I just I can't see it any other way. Um, I mean, the Sixers still view him as an asset, as he is. I mean, it wasn't too long ago. I mean, people still think he's probably one of the top three defensive players in the league. And if he can get his offensive game going, which everybody loves a project, I say that with a little bit of I think the project's over. I was going to say, projects are for guys in their first couple years. If you can get him right with a new voice, you do have a Giannis-type player on your hands. Now, I'm not saying that they're the same player, but he might have a shot at being that type of player somewhere else because this relationship has gone so bad. Uh, there's so there's no positivity left in Philly. <laughs> and we're going to go to an even less positive or maybe positive depending on how you want to so done with yourself. <laughs> I'm over it. Here's the deal, guys. You can debate this till you're blue in the face. It doesn't change anything. Everyone hates each other and Ben Simmons is not going to play for the I Sixers. think we should make that a slogan of the podcast. Everyone hates hey, each other. Everyone hates each other. I'll put that on a t-shirt for you. I, I keep talking about all these t-shirts. I got to start making them. All right. God, I love the NBA. In Philadelphia, there is hope or despair about the way the Phillies are. You just said everything was bad. Well, I, that's my <laughs> opinion because they're going to crush no, I agree. everyone's hopes. I agree. Well, what are the what are the hopes? Are we talking specifically Phillies? Yes. What are the hopes left? I'm, again, I'm going to bring it because do you have any? Inc- well, you're wearing a Phillies hat today, actually. He's so always. I'm surprised. He's hopeful. He's always going to be hopeful. They did win I, last night, walk off oh fashion against your I, Baltimore. Who's? 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 Who's taking ownership for them? Baltimore Somebody. barely owns them. <laughs> Yours. At this There's p- a reason that the, none of the stuff here is theirs at no, the moment. Once they get good again. They literally get 5,000 fans at games. That's not an <sighs> yeah. exaggeration. No, I know. And and this has been the Phillies MO is that they hang with the good teams and they lose to the bad ones. You got to win the easy ones too. It, the stupid thing is they're still flirting between one and three games out and it just gives Flirt, you the hope. No, no, no. Flirting. <laughs> the, the, girl, have, the girl at the bar is like looking the other way and has like, and the guy is just having to talk to them as the bartender's like, you want me to do something about him? They're not flirting. They are nowhere near flirting. They are, they are dealing with currently. them. They are bearing with them. They it are. Is shooting your shot. You know, the, the meme where he shoots a three-pointer, turns yeah. around and celebrates and the ball rims out. Like that's Somebody the removed Phillies. the basket. There's That's not what's happening anymore. <laughs> Nobody has any idea what is going on. They are not flirting with the postseason. It is a miracle that they are even in the realm of that they put up the graphic saying how they can make the road. The the fact that they're still a viable team to maybe make the playoffs gives the Philadelphia fan base hope. And all you need to do is win three games against Atlanta 
take care of business against the Marlins, and next thing you know, you're but there's no the guarantee of, of that. Logan. Winning take, one game, taking care of business, oh, the way to the championship. Okay, now someone cut his mic off. Uh, taking care. The woo is what sent me. You barely even heard it because his voice is gone. Because <laughs> he has no voice from the whiteout game. Wow. Taking care of business is against the Marlins has become an oxymoron for this team. They don't even take sure. care of the things that they're supposed to at this point. And you're relying on other teams doing things to even get to where you want to go. I what did I say? What did I say earlier in the year? I don't if this team, <laughs> I, don't I said I don't remember who the worst team in in. in uh, in, in, yeah, no, 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 in the NFL will be, oh. but I do remember this. But the, the Phillies, if they don't make the postseason, need to blow it up. You did say that. I they need remember. to blow it up. The fashion in which they've gone, and that doesn't mean, like I've said, like you can keep a, a Harper contract or a JT contract, like something like that. But overall, you can't keep bringing the same product back. Similar, we're talking about the Steelers. You can't keep reliving this. At least the Steelers make the playoffs. The Phillies just keep not even breaking. They're not breaking your heart at this point. Apparently, they're getting he's ignored hopeful. at the bar. No, he's yeah. hopeful. That's the problem. How? My heart's been broken since 2011. Yes. That's the thing. So why do you so keep loving again? slimmer of hope. Love because it. What's the slimmer of I'm hope? I'm a lover, not a fighter, okay? <laughs> we want to... Well, you're fighting this take right now, so I don't know how I am much fighting the take because <laughs> the Philadelphia fan base, I'm not saying this mm. rationally. I'm saying the Philadelphia fan base, when yeah. they have an opportunity to hang on a team as long as possible, they will and then get their hearts broken, and we just accept that as people, and we move on. Well, that's feel situational, though, because you're literally saying you're so done with Ben Simmons, and also people were shooting their way at a Carson no, no, no. Wentz out of town. Here's, here's no, the, because the, the Sixers can win without Ben Simmons, I think. That's mm. the difference. Okay. There's okay? no, there's no, hold on. There's no rationale for Phillies fans. <laughs> they were, they are, they are on one player. It's all fan bases. The, <laughs> all fan bases. I, oh, no, I am no, going to disagree with you no, on that one. No, no, no. I'm going to disagree with This you. is unique to Philadelphia. Yes. They will ah, everybody. run someone out of town. Does everybody grease up the light poles when they <laughs> And then die for someone else. Right now, Shiner has this little hope. I see it in him. I see it in Dennis Owens. Like, oh, you're saying there's a chance. No, but see, Dennis is a different breed too because Dennis, the, even when the, the Eagles were doing well He's against the Falcons, he was tweeting about how Arby's doesn't have a, a, quali a quality cheesesteak. So he's going to find something to get mad about, even when things are going swimmingly. Also part of Philadelphia. All right. <laughs> Last shout outs, because this episode has gone on long enough for all of you who have stuck with us. Uh, Shiner, also a big weekend for him. Not only a whiteout and losing his voice, but oh, yeah. your shout out for us before we get out of here. Well, tying it back into Penn State. <laughs> he still has no voice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I got something well, out of him too, so I take responsibility. Anyway, uh, shout out to Mac O'Keefe, Penn State attackman, who is currently playing with the chaos, beat the whip snakes in the PLL championship, 14 to nine. And our buddy, Paul Rabel, retiring. Sad yeah. day. Yeah, we talked to a CMO of the PLL, one of the best lacrosse players to ever play the game before the semifinals for the PLL. Uh, and he, at the time, I had asked him, lacrosse is going to be in the Olympics in 2028. Do you think you have seven more years in you? He's like 41 years old. And he laughed at me <laughs> because like four days later, he announced his retirement. So he was like, ha Maybe you brought it out of him. Maybe I did. He was like, oh, shoot, that's what's expected. No, I caused Paul. No, we're not going to go no. there. Not putting it out into the universe. So uh, yes, excited for the PLL. A very successful season. Awesome to see those guys do what they do. Uh, we're going to let Shiner live in his delusion a little more. Tyler, you got one last thought for us before we close this thing out? 
I just want to give a shout out to my friend Tim. Uh, we went to high school together. He traveled all the way down to Miami this past weekend to see the Dolphins. He's a Dolphins fan. This, I think that was his first time in the stadium. They lost 35 to nothing. Yeah, it wasn't great. Poor good guy. job, Tim. But go Tim. Tim's a good guy. Tim's a good guy. All right. We good like Tim's. Tim's are nice people. Tim, Tim would probably be a better bet than getting my friend Pete on here. Okay. Things would go more off the rails. We gotta, we gotta talk to Pete about like no, the, the decorum. <laughs> you want to talk about? Well, he's not delusional. He's very realistic. He can provide a Philly fan aspect like you wouldn't believe. All right, we're gonna end on that because uh, <laughs> Logan just called Shiner delusional. We have more on our website abc27.com/podcast. If you want to go on there, you can hear James Franklin's take on the horrible officiating by the SEC officials. He can't say that. I will say that against Auburn. Uh, and for Logan, Shiner, Tyler, myself. We'll see you next Thursday. Thanks for making it to the end of the episode. If you've gotten this far, you clearly must like what you've heard. So could you subscribe, rate the show, and leave us a review?